I'm Allegra Levy, and you're listening to the Scout Archives, the place where I have the pleasure of introducing you to some of the most influential young people I know. For more information on today's interview, head to www.thescoutarchives.com. There you can find photo shoots with our guests, pieces of work they've shared with us, and many other surprises. See you there. When I think of Nell Tear, many memories flood my mind. I met her when I was eight years old, on a playground on 96th Street. She sang me Poor Unfortunate Souls from The Little Mermaid on the swings, and from that moment on, I was hooked. I had never met someone so eager to live life to the fullest each day, who had a love for imagination and children, as well as working hard to become the lady boss she is as an adult. As I got older, I learned to respect the devotion she had to bettering herself and never, ever giving up when times got tough. And trust me, they got tough. Don't let her well-meaning nature and irresistible charm fool you. She has lived many lives during her time growing up in Texas and moving to New York and then to Los Angeles, where she lives now, a few steps from the home of her best friends Hemke and Jesse Madera and their two children. Although she has the curiosity of a young child running free, her work speaks for itself to say that Nell is a visionary leader. She is truly non-stop. Her resume spans from screenwriter to director, nanny to actor, artist to author to activist. Beyond that, there is a reason people love working with her so much. She is kind, interested, and personable. Although each day is a hike, Nell never ceases to show me that she is comfortable climbing, even if she cannot see the top of the mountain, as long as she is doing what she loves and inspiring others along the way. So listen in as Nell and I discuss her experiences wearing her many different hats and how she has stayed so positive, so driven, and so full of wonder while donning each one. Hi, Nell. Hi. Thanks for being here today. Thank you for being here in Los Angeles today. Where are we exactly? Do you want to tell our listeners? We are having lunch in the lobby restaurant of Mama's Shelter, which is a little boutique hotel here in Hollywood. We were on the roof, but it was too loud. Too loud. So we came down here. Gotta do what you gotta do. Less loud. Um, how are you today? I'm great. Did you have a good day? I did have a good day. Did you have a good night last night? I did. (laughs) I had a great night last night. Did you? Yeah, but I'm tired. Nell kept me out till 5 o'clock in the morning. Her time. New York time. But it's fine. Actually, it was technically 4.30. You're okay, but we went to bed at 5 Technically, time. it was 5 a.m. when we went to sleep, yes. And we woke up at 10 a.m. my time, which is five hours. We got sleep. five hours. We got five hours. All right. Well, I forgive you. Thank you. All right. Should we start? Let's do it. Why don't we start with your childhood? Oh, goodness. Do you want to describe your childhood and what it was like and when you discovered a passion for the arts? My childhood. Hmm. Well... Imagine an enormously tall roller coaster that starts off seemingly fine and protected and then you realize that the buckles don't work and the track ends. Oh, that's so sad. (laughs) My God. Starting off morbid. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. 
so no, it was it was tumultuous. It was full of love and um, creativity and um, a lot of uh, a lot of things that were hard to decipher and understand. Um, my father was. I think has a very entrepreneurial spirit. Spirit. He did a lot of different jobs. At one point, he was a blueberry farmer. Uh, we lived on a blueberry farm. Um, my mother was an actress. She was an artist, and so I grew up backstage with her and on stage with her. And that's really where I cultivated a love of the arts through my mother and with my mother, um, but also with my siblings. We were always performing. We were always putting on shows. Um, when I was six, I used to put on summer programming for all of the old women in my neighborhood. And my mother would make popcorn in brown bags. And I would choreograph dances for me and my friends. And we would hang sheets in the hallways. And we would invite all of the women to come. And, and then we would start. It was usually to something by Madonna. Uh, La Is La Bonita comes to mind, uh, which was my favorite Madonna song. And... Uh, my, mo my mother made grass skirts for us, and uh, yeah, that was a very defining moment. I was six. I put it on. I didn't know you did that. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And my friend Benna, uh, her grass skirt broke, and she ran off stage in the middle of the number. And I was very upset with her, and so I took my bow, and the rest of the girls took their bow, and I found her in the bathroom teary-eyed and um, I just remember standing on my tiptoes to be able to look into the mirror to see her in like you know have a discussion with our reflection and I had been told as a child all my life that you never leave the stage you finish the performance it doesn't matter and so I looked at her and I said Benna you never leave the stage and all of a sudden my mother's behind me like oh Nellie okay let's uh all right I'm sure my mom was thinking, oh my God, I've, made, I've created a monster. But, but yeah. That led to being a great director. Exactly. <laughs> but yeah, I, I definitely, my, creative, my creativity blossomed with uh, and through my mom and my dad. So. And when did you decide that you wanted to go to HSPBA in Houston? Yeah. Uh, as soon as I found out it existed. So that was sort of a... I had, I had gone to a magnet middle school for theater and I had start, I started performing when I was about four and I loved the stage and I loved green rooms and I loved costume shops and I loved set shops and I just wanted to be around it all the time. And so when I found out there was a high school that I could go to where I would be doing that for the majority of most of my days, I decided that's where I would go and I would not take no for an answer. Thank God they wanted me. Want to name drop some names of your classmates? Um. <laughs> I mean, people who went through the school? Yeah. Xena, the warrior princess. Beyonce. Beyonce. Uh, Kelly, uh, did Kelly go there? I can't remember if Kelly went there or if she went to Lamar. Uh, but yeah, Queen Bay. Queen Bay went to uh, PBA. Uh, Charles Jones. Um, Kendrick Scott. Uh, a lot of incredible jazz musicians, uh, Walter Smith, um, oh my god, there's so many, there's so many dancers, there's so many phenomenal people that went through there. Are you still very good friends with a lot of people you went to high school with? I am. Justin Simeon, oh my god, dear white people, he's incredible. 
who I love and, and thankfully get to see more often than not. And yeah, so many. There's so many. There's too many to name. There are. There are too many to name. So then you went to NYU. I did. Cap 21 musical theater. Musical theater program, yes. And how is that different from your high school experience? More rigorous, I assume? Well, you know, it was interesting. HSPBA was extremely rigorous. It was really a continuation. We had very competitive academics at PBA. The workload was very similar. I mean, I was at school at 7.15 in the morning and then I usually wouldn't get home until 10.30 or 11 at night when we were doing a show or something and still had all the workload of AP classes and everything like that. So getting to NYU was actually relaxing for me because I didn't have to take care of my family either. It was just me for the first time in my life and I thought, wow, I like this adulting thing. Right. But then I immediately found other families to take care of. Like me. (laughs) (laughs) My whole family. I love it. And then you you were Cap 21. Yes. And I did my I did a minor in, in comparative religion through the anthropology department. Hmm. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I loved that. And I studied all the religions sort of lined up and realized that we murder each other for no reason whatsoever except semantics. Wow. So what was your life like in New York? My life in New York was wonderful. I, when I got there, um, I felt immediately at home. I, I didn't apply to any other schools uh, than NYU. I refused, which freaked my father out. But I knew I wanted to go there when I was 15. I went and toured it. And just as soon as I was, I was there, I, I knew that's where I was going to go. So I got there and I was, I was ecstatic to be there. And I was driven and very excited. I mean, money was very tight for us, and I remember there being a lot of stress. I spent a lot of time sort of weepy-eyed in the bursar's office, um, trying to figure out, you know, financial aid and all that stuff that I was doing. Took out a lot of loans, but managed. It was very important to my father that I not work the first year so I could get acclimated, and I did. And I fell in love with New York. I fell in love with the autonomy of it, getting yourself around, not being dependent upon anyone else to get you anywhere. You know, you can walk everywhere. You don't necessarily need anything but yourself. Mm -hmm. So I loved that aspect of it. And I loved being able to see the shows and do whatever I wanted to do. It was magical. And I... I was creative every day. I got to wake up and go to dance every day. I got to sing every day. I got to act every day and perform and, you know, better my craft. And yeah, it was wonderful. I loved it. And then when you were at Cap 21, you were in the Wild Party. Mm-hmm. And then you ended up, from that, you ended up getting Memphis. An yeah. original role in Memphis before it moved to Broadway. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, can you describe that experience? Yeah. What was that like? What was it like to be entering a musical on the ground floor? Mm-hmm. And now that it is what it is, 
a great Broadway show that had a run for a long time, and people now know what it is, and it has touring companies or whatever. Mm -hmm. Do you ever regret that you didn't stay longer, long enough to see it go to Broadway with you in the cast? Right. Well, I didn't really have that opportunity. Um, so, we did the Andrew Lippa version of The Wild Party my junior year. Alex Corey, who originated the role of Madeline True, was one of my teachers. Um, and that was the role that I played. And so, Gabe Barry, Gabriel Barry, who directed uh, the off-Broadway version, and Julia Murney, who starred in it as Queenie, came to see the show. And Gabe reached out to three of, of us actors, in uh, female actors in the show. I invited, invited us to audition for Memphis, and, and I went in and I booked it. And it was amazing. I left school, I took a semester off, and I went to Boston, and I, I did it at North Shore Music Theater. Um, but I was, you know, I was 21 playing a 15-year-old. And because of, you know, arguments over rights and what they wanted to do with it and all of that, it didn't go to Broadway until I was 27. Right. So I went back in to audition for it, but... I, I, it was no longer a show that made sense for the kind of actor, dancer, singer that I was. I became a very dancey musical, much more focused on dance than it had been. And also I was, I don't think I could pull off 15 anymore at that point. Mm -hmm. um, so I didn't get to go along with it. Um, but yeah, it was disappointing to not, because it, there were talks of it going straight to Broadway from where we were. Mm -hmm. So yeah. But was it also very cool to see all of your buddies who were in oh, the show? Oh, amazing. Go? And getting to go and see it on Broadway and hug Montego and hug Chad and, and Jay and kiss everybody. and Oh, yeah. It was magical. It was wonderful. And it was, it was phenomenal to be a part of it. That's the role. That's the show that got me my equity card. I learned everything about what it, mean, what it meant to be a collaborative director. And, I mean, Gabe Barry is still a very dear friend of mine who I reach out to on occasion for advice and insight. And he is, you know, he is magnificent. I loved the way he directed us. You know, he wanted us to be a part of it. He wanted to bring us into these roles and into the story. And, and the same with um, David Bryan. You know, we got to sing and create our own riffs and everything like that. It was great. We got new pages almost every day of rehearsal. So it was, it was a fabulous, wonderful, and I was on the North Shore in Massachusetts in the fall. Mm -hmm. Like, you can't, couldn't beat it. Were you studying with Richard Lissamore at the time? <laughs> I was studying with, I studied with Richard my freshman year of college, and then I didn't get to have him again, which was an absolute shame because I loved him and I loved the way he taught very much no nonsense but also made it made it very it was easy to give him what he wanted because he was so straightforward about it mm -hmm. and I, I loved that. that there was nothing if he wanted you to do something or he wanted you to understand a concept he just directly gave it to you you know what I mean and it made it it was it simplified because singing is such a such a vulnerable Thing, you know, I mean, it certainly was for me. I had polyps, or I had calluses on my vocal cords, which we discovered freshman year. Um, I had to go on vocal rest, and I had to do all of this. You know, I had to retrain the way I spoke, 
And Richard just, he just, he was easy for me. He wasn't very easy for other students, but I loved him. I got it immediately and I loved it. And that is why I sent you to him all those years <laughs> later. Is there something that comes to mind about something that he taught you about mm. this business or about maybe being a teacher? The directness. Just the straightforward nature of his... of, con of, of delivering concepts. Um, and also, being fun in an assertive way. You know what I mean? I didn't ever doubt who was in charge, but it was always very fun, you know? Yeah. Um, and I remember him... We were all hemming and hawing about one of our classmates who, like, was always late and didn't do stuff and da-da-da-da-da. And he goes, guys, she is more interested in majoring in sorority than she is in, you know. And he was just very, everything was very definitive. And it made me calm. Because I always felt like he was in control. I remember he made us work on Life is Just a Bowl of Cherries for, forever. <laughs> Um, but he also taught me about relaxing my throat. He made me hang over and sort of like undo my neck and I wish I'd had more of that. I think he, he looked at me and he sort of got me and I missed him when I didn't have him anymore. I missed him as a teacher. I feel like my, my, um, my, my vocal chops would have grown considerably more had I continued to study with him. Yeah. I find that he's very... I just love that he comes off as very uh, authoritative, mm -hmm. but my mom used to always say whenever I would get kind of down on myself, mm -hmm. she would just say, you know, he just cares so much, and I really love that. Yeah. I really just like that he's a teacher who is very careful about everything that his students do away from him. You yeah, know? absolutely. He cares. Yeah. He cares 100%. He's invested. Um, so, then you got married. Mm-hmm. I and, met... <laughs> yeah, sure. Discuss that with us, why don't you? I met my ex-husband the night of the um, NYU industry the straight acting industry night oh. performance. I was lucky enough as a student to do both the musical theater night and the straight theater night, which was rare and was really awesome. But I remember my dad had a meeting in Boston and he flew to New York and he got to see my monologue, which was really special. And I wanted to take him to the bar that I was working in all through <laughs> school. And so we went over there with his rolling suitcase and. I walked in and there was this man and he was the most beautiful man I'd ever seen. I just was smitten. Yeah. And I started to, geez Louise, hold for sound. Um, and then I started to uh, date him. And then for whatever reason, I, I, I was hip pocketed at William Morris. I, had a, I, was, I got a, a great management team out of that night. Um, and over the next six months, I just sort of let it slip away because I was playing house. And I really let myself down in that. And the marriage, the, 
didn't last. We were together for five years. We were only married for a year and nine months of that, but I wasn't true to myself through the marriage. I didn't continue to do the things that I loved, and I should have. Soon after that, you moved to Los Angeles, mm-hmm. and I'm wondering, was that the catalyst for your move, or was there something else that led you to say, New York is just too difficult, I need to start over somewhere else? Mm-hmm. No, that it was New York was too difficult. I felt that I had put myself in a position. I had lost so much time on my journey in New York as an artist that though I still had these connections, my friends that I had gone to school with and were doing things with had kind of gone past me. Mm-hmm. And it was, I took a trip to LA the summer before I divorced uh, my ex-husband. And when I got here, I felt an immediate acceptance in the city. I felt like there were opportunities here for me that I didn't have in New York. There was just more work. There were more things to... (laughs) Hold for sound again. Um, There were just more things for me out here to do. So I came out here for three weeks the summer before... Uh, I left Glenn, and that was eight years ago now. Took some meetings, and, and one manager told me, I would love to rep you, but I'm not going to rep you if you're not here. If you're not here. And so I made a decision when I got back to New York. I begged my manager, Tara Borgine, to take me back, even though I had ruined that relationship, and she did. And she started sending me out, and I started uh, sneaking away on my lunch break. I was working in catering in in Midtown, and uh, I was sneaking away on my lunch break to go to auditions and stuff, and I was very unhappy in my marriage for a multitude of reasons. And I made a a commitment to myself, and I, I left my marriage, and I left the fear that I would never be for myself all of the things that I wanted to be for myself. And yes, Los Angeles was like a beacon of glowing opportunities and possibilities to rediscover me, for me. And that's exactly what I did. So how do you view marriage now, as opposed to when you did before you were married? Mm-hmm. When I was a little girl, I used to tell everybody that I wouldn't get married until I was 35, at least. And I ended up getting married at 26. Meeting a man at 23, then I married at 26. So I don't know what the hell happened there? I view marriage now, I think it would be wonderful to have a partner. Right. I have yet to find that person. And um, I think I'm getting better at choosing the right people or cutting off the wrong people sooner than later. But it's, you know, unfortunately I really do believe that you give up a bit of yourself to be in a romantic relationship because priorities shift and I don't know that right now in my life I'm ready to do that again I think it'll still be a little while for me before I'm ready to do that well now you've lived in Los Angeles for some time Mm -hmm. long enough to create a great network of friends colleagues 
how did you find friend making here as opposed to New York? And also, do you think that there's somebody that makes you say, oh, I think I came to L.A. for many reasons, but one of those reasons was to meet this person? Mm. Wow. Well, as I chew my bananas, <laughs> you know, it's really interesting. I love making friends. Yeah, anywhere. quite good at it. Anywhere. Anywhere in the world. I've never had a problem with that. I love people. I love personalities. Making friends out here has been wonderful. But I, but I think it's also about the age that I am um, and what I know more of myself now as opposed to being younger. Um, certainly the most obvious of the friends that I've made is Hemke Madeira, who is like a brother to me who married my best friend, Jesse Madeira, Jesse, Lynn. Jesse Lynn <laughs> Fitzpatrick Turek Madeira. Um, and we have, a, we have a family unit here that is unrivaled anywhere. I mean, I would put our unit up against any unit, any compound, anywhere. You hear that, cult followers? Um, but yeah, I think Hemke definitely he helped me get my first agent out here. He's the father to two amazing boys that are my godchildren. He's the most amazing husband to my best friend of 20 plus years. So yeah, Hemke definitely stands out. There are others. There's Christy Slager, who is one of my dearest uh, friends, who's who re reinvigorated my love for dance and and the discovery of self in that way. Rebecca Ocampo, Jewel Greenberg, who I went through my first directing classes with. My God, Eddie Gathegi. Like, there's so many people out here that I love that have been enormously important in my discovery of what, I, what it is I love and what I am going to do. So many. What's it like living downstairs from your best friend and her husband and her kids? <laughs> it's amazing. It's amazing. I mean, we all have we all struggle because we're so close. You know, there's always a struggle with boundaries, boundaries but yeah. that's family. Yeah, that's family. that's literally just a family issue. You were a member of Celebration Theater. Yes, I was a company there. member, mm -hmm. and you also worked as the. Director of Development. Director of Development, right. For a year. Mm -hmm. um, and you were in many shows there, but you were in the one that I saw, World, The Next yeah. Fairy Tale. The world premiere of The Next Fairy Tale, yes. Which Amazing. Which two gay princes. Yes. It was very innovative. It was beautiful. And I loved it. What was it like doing theater out here? I mean, I I was so lucky. My That manager that I begged to take me back, who did, she got me an audition that kind of started everything uh, at the Center Theater Group. And I booked Harps and Angels, directed by Jerry Zachs and all of the music of Randy Newman. And so I got to work with Randy and I got to work with Jerry. Was that before the first mm -hmm. Theater? Yeah. I didn't know that, okay. It was my first gig out here. And, uh, wow, that's a big gig to get out here. Yeah, it was huge. And so I, I came in as the understudy um, because it, it it had kind of already been in development, and I met you know I got to work with Michael McKean and Katie Segal and just so Adrian Lennox I mean some of these just the most amazing actors and it 
it pushed me into the theatrical world in a way that I hadn't been. And I actually booked Harps and Angels and Next Fairy Tale at the same time. But Next Fairy Tale got pushed. So oh, I was able wow. to do both, both of them. them. Gosh, um, that's it was amazing. Great luck. Yeah, it was great luck. So yeah, I was very lucky. Um, and and it you know, doing that show and then doing the next fairy tale. It introduced me to LA in a real way. I got to work and meet with people and start to build my large group of friends and colleagues. I mean, that was how it all started. It's kind of funny, though, that it all started with theater, but yet you're in L.A., which is I know. the land of no theater. Hey, Minimal theater. That is not a true statement. Uh, what was it like working with Jerry Zaks? Mm. Very intense. Very intense, very demanding. Um, in a good way. Though. Director. Yeah. I think he sees exactly what he wants in his mind. And uh, he'll bring it. He'll bring it right out of you. I remember I sang "I Want Everyone to Like Me" for my audition, Randy Newman song, great Randy Newman song. And I was doing a lot. I was doing so much in the song. And uh, he got up and came over and, and held my hands in the audition. And he worked with me for like a good solid five to ten minutes. And he was like, "Just tell us." just look and tell us and, and he was so magnificent like bouncing and, and I could feel his energy and that's the way he is when he's he wants to be inspired and excited and he wants to inspire and excite and I loved that I loved that experience and the minute he left and the minute I looked over to try to do stuff he was like you've lost us you were spinning this beautiful web and now it's gone but I got the job, so <laughs> I did something right. Um, um, yeah. And then that led to Next Fairy Tale. Mm-hmm. What was that like? That was also a new musical. Well, they were all new musicals. Uh-huh. <laughs> well, but that was written by somebody really young. Very young. Very, very talented. Yeah, super talented. You know, I think that all of the new works that I've been so beautifully invited to be a part of yeah have shaped me as a director more than anything the collaboration you know I didn't go into one of these revivals I didn't go into one of these shows that had been running forever I didn't do any of that I I sat and I watched the creative team figure it out sure with us you know with the people in it and that was always what I loved most the collaborative aspect of of theater um, specifically but you know film has that as well but yeah that was what I that that completely shaped who I am as an artist the collaborative aspect of that can you describe the moment you first realized that you had an intense passion for directing that mm. it was something you wanted to pursue almost in I mean you still act sometimes but you're mostly a director yeah um, so I'm wondering how yeah. that shifted. When my mom, so my mother died during the next fairy tale, basically. I had only been out here a year. And when she died, I started to paint, which was strange. Like all through her sickness and her illness, she was in a coma for a little while and then she passed away. And the whole thing took only about 
six months for her to go. And um, I kept dreaming about blank canvases. And so I started painting. And then a man I was dating at the time put me up to direct something, a one-woman show, just out of the blue. And I did that, and I shot like a little mini documentary to go along with it. And I was hooked. I just, oh my God, I couldn't, I couldn't believe how much I loved it, how right it felt to have done the interviews and to cut everything together and to put the music in there. And I don't know, it was, it was magnificent. And I thought, oh my God, this is what I want to do. I want to do this. This is what I want to do. And so um, I enrolled myself in a course that was like an invite on course uh, that was taught by Miles Watkins. It's called The Art of Visual Storytelling. And I made three of my own films and spent all of my money doing it, but I was hooked and I, I loved it. And I'll never forget, and I don't know at what point it was, but I was sitting in my bed and I was thinking like, what am I? What do I let, like, what is the true person? What do I do? Who am I? What am I going to do? What do I want to do? And I had a vision of myself standing at the lip of a stage, like standing in the audience, but with my sort of my hips or my chest pressed against the stage, okay. directing people. And I, it was like a question I asked, like, who am I? And I closed my eyes and I saw myself in a big theater with the script in my hand, like rolled up, pointing at people where to go. Wow. And that was, uh, that moment will just be forever crystallized in my brain. Wow. Yeah. Like I asked and I saw it. Hi everybody, it's Allegra. I just wanted to take a little bit of a break to tell you guys that Neltier has a website that you should definitely check out. It's www.neltier.com. It has a lot of her work up there and her contact information, and I'm sure that she would love to hear from you guys, so if you all are interested, please check that out. It'll be up on our website, but just in case you guys miss it, there it is. All right. Thanks, guys. Back to the interview. You have a trend of directing a lot of short media. Uh-huh. Uh, like, you've directed music videos. You've directed short films. You've directed book trailers. Uh-huh. Um, and now you're also shadowing the NCIS team mm-hmm. for your directorial debut. On TV, mm-hmm. But you write screenplays that are feature films. Yes. Do you notice that that is um, something that you do, that you tend to write longer than you direct? Well, at this point in my career, um, you know, feature films take more money than is available to me. Mm -hmm. I would love to direct features. Um, And I will. I'm reading one as, like right now, I've just been given one to read. And I have one that I've written that that I'm in the process of writing right now that I want to give, or that that I want to, I want to direct in like Texas in March of next year, if I could. Sorry, I just saw a friend of mine walk in and I was like, do I say hi, do I not say hi? And I put my head down and I didn't say hi. It's very unlike you. Very unlike me. They looked like they were doing stuff. Anyway, so the fundraising part of things is not really my favorite. And in order to to do a feature, you have to either be independently wealthy or or be able to raise the funds or, you know, have somewhere that you can go to get them. Right. And I just don't at the moment. But the television gigs 
will be amazing. And that's sort of where my focus is right now is working towards that. And I've been so lucky to work on so many of these amazing web series and short films and book trailers and, you know, and, and I, I get paid to do them. So I get paid to do what I love to do. And that is pretty awesome. So as soon as, as soon as the funds are rolling in for features, I will just be churning them out. But do you like, what is it that you like about the short film or the music video? Well, I love, I love the transient nature, the ephemeral nature of all artistic endeavor, mm-hmm. right? It's here and then it's gone. That's what I always loved about theater, is that every night was different. You can never capture it. Thank you. Um, so, the ephemeral nature of, of of art is, I think, so very much like life. You know, we're only here for a minute, like a blip. And so, directing the short form. It's so it's just fun, you know. You can create something really beautiful and really poignant, or very funny or scary in an instant, mm-hmm. you know. And and then it's there. Yeah. Yeah. Is there a director that inspires you, or that you whose style you want to emulate, mm. or you aspire to emulate? There are a lot of directors that I love. I think I, I feel kindred to. Spike Jones and uh, Michelle Gondry um, and David Lynch mostly because well especially with David Lynch there's like a freedom to his creativity there's a freedom to his imagery yeah that kind of pushes the boundaries of what what we assume comes next or what something means or why or how so I love that about his stuff. You know, he really just draws it out of you. He lets it sit there long enough for you to draw all of these different conclusions about what it is that you're looking at. And, and I love that. You know, I love that. I love pushing the, the boundaries of thought process. Um, I think Spike Jones is one of the most visceral directors. Same with Michelle Gundry. I think they both are just brilliant at it. There's a part um, in Where the Wild Things Are when Max is under the table pulling the stockings of his mother. And she's on this phone having this very adult work conversation. And they are, in, they are immediately so intimate and so far away from each other. And I think that it's, it's a beautiful look at human beings in general, certainly parents and children. Um, but this ability to be physically close to someone or something and yet be so separate. Sure. So I thought he did that so beautifully. And that whole film was so beautiful. So, yeah. Love it. When you embark on a project, whether it be, a, let's just say a book trailer, for instance. Okay. Um, do you have a game plan? Is there usually a oh, yeah. set routine of what you do? Yes. So, with a book trailer, for instance, I'll get sent the book or sent the synopsis, and then I have to create a treatment. So, in the creation of the treatment, I figure out exactly what it is I want it to look like, 
want it to feel like, want it to sound like, and all of that stuff. And then I get to cast it, um, you know, I get to produce it, I get to say who's shooting it, what we're shooting on. Um, obviously, all clearing that with Adam, who is the owner of the company. Um, for the book trailers. Mm -hmm. For context. Do you want to share what a book trailer is? I feel like mm. a lot of people don't know what a oh, book okay. trailer is. Oh, okay. A book trailer is. is basically the back cover shot cinematically. So it gives you a feel for the tone and and uh, experience of the book. But in a you know, movie, a but trailer. In, but in a cinematic book trailer. <laughs> um, so yeah, so I do that and then I create a shot list and you know we get together with the team and the actors and we shoot them and um, yeah. But it's a great way, and they, they happen so fast, and I've done so many of them now. It is a wonderful exercise in visceral storytelling, and visceral visual, being able to do something in a very small amount of time, being able to get someone's attention or, you know, put, put the idea of the book or the feeling of the book into them in 90 seconds or 60 seconds. It's pretty great. Good exercise. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You wrote a book. I did. Called Celia and the Witches, a children's book. Yes. And I was there when you read it at Barnes and Noble. Yes. That was such a fun day. Oh, well, 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 well. Um, what was it like to create something you could hold in your hand? What was that process like? Did you, why did you write a children's book too? Oh, Allegra. You know how much I love children. I do. Um. I woke up so at the time I was still married the most amazing nephew my ex-husband's nephew Cooper uh, was so little he was like three or something at the time yeah, three, he was young. three he was little um, three or four and I was nannying you and Cam um, and the little Bo, um Clark kids yes um, and, I see their mom on the street a lot uh -huh. um, and and um, and the Haymans. Um, yeah, so I mean, I was surrounded by children. And my, my niece had just been born, or was about to be born. Yeah, maybe. I don't think she was born yet. No. Um, so she wasn't born yet. No, she wasn't. So I was just surrounded by children. And I, was, I would tell you guys stories. You know, you, they would all, you guys would always ask me for stories. And tell me this story, and tell me that story. And, and I can't remember which one of you asked me about dreams. Oh. Oh. Yeah, slip that one in. Oh, nice. Y'all, she just paid for my lunch. Sneaky little devil. Okay, um, so what I was saying was, so... Children. We were children, children book, children book. Um, so... So yeah, so I was telling you guys all these stories and I, um, somebody asked me about dreams and bad dreams and I started talking to you guys about changing your dreams while you were dreaming them. Mm -hmm. Do you remember that? Talking yeah, about I dream do, yoga? Thank you. Sorry about that. No Thanks, Legs. Sure thing. Thanks, Daddy. Thanks, Tom. <laughs> um, I'm paying for everything else, by yeah, the way. Yeah, yeah, she yeah. totally snuck this in there. Room and board and um, else. So, I woke up in New Jersey. Uh, I was staying with my ex-husband's family. And I woke up with half of the rhyme in my head. You know? 
Celia was hugged and kissed three times and her covers were tucked in tight. Her mommy and daddy walked to the door. They turned to blow kisses as they turned out the light. But I woke up with it in my mind and I just started writing it. And then I remember I finished it on the train. So I wrote it in like one day, a 23 page rhyme. And then I started reading it to you guys and I started doing a little editing. And then I thought, you know what? I want to just make a book. do this. I'm going to do this. I'm going to start a publishing company and I'm going to make this book. And I did. And I found a great illustrator uh, who I had grown up with in Texas. And um, we, I got asked to read uh, with Jules Pfeiffer and his daughter at the Lincoln Center Barnes & Noble. And um, I sold more copies of Celia that day than they sold of their books. I sold, I sold 51 copies of Celia that day in Barnes & Noble, and they picked me up, and they had me on their extended title program, um, but it wasn't too long after that. I had another book in the works, but then I ended up getting a divorce, and so, yeah. Which one was that? Gar the Blueberry Farm? Garbage Storm. Oh, right. Yeah, Garbage Storm. Still ready to go. Still ready to go. Maybe I'll make it a script. Yeah, make it a movie. Yeah. What was it like to hold it actually in your hand? Like, isn't that so cool to actually hold the book? Pretty cool. Yes. That's dope. It was very, very cool. And I got to go on tour. I got to read in all these schools all over the country. And it was very fun. Yeah, that was really cool. Um, I met your mentee yesterday, Taylor. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Shout out to Taylor. Hi, Taylor. <laughs> What's it like to be at a moment in your career where you're now teaching other people how to be a well-rounded artist? And have you learned anything from this experience? Oh, man. Yeah. I think, you know, the basic part of being a great mentor is, you know, learning from the person you're mentoring. Mm -hmm. You know, it's again, it's all about collaboration. And um, Taylor, my God, she has taught me so much about um, work ethic, like you do, mm -hmm. uh, Allegra. She is creativity. Does have a great work ethic. Yeah, I and met her one day, and I can tell. Yeah, and just, just the continued excitement in learning something new, and I think that's what I love and don't ever want to lose. Um, Thank you in life of like. I don't ever want to stop learning things. I am always looking for mentors. Right. For me. Yeah. So the fact that I get to do that, you know, I'm old enough now or have done things long enough now that, you know, I'm sort of like the middle. I'm in the middle. Mm. I have mentors and you I have mentees. mentees and it's very exciting and I love it. It's fantastic. You've lived a lot of life. I would say, for yeah. how young you are. Yeah, I think so. But you're a very positive person. You, I think you have one of the most intense worth ethics that I've ever seen. I mean, I just really think that you're just very nonstop, and I'm, I'm always really intrigued by how much you do in such little time. Thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> um, so what is, what is the key to, you know, being so positive in the way that you are? I mean, everybody loves you. You're such a good friend. You have so many friends. You're such a good uh, people person. 
very personable, and you're very well respected. And and how did you get to be that way? Mm. I think it comes down to like expectations, I guess. Um, I don't think that I, I think that I overdo it with my expectations. And I love people, and I'm curious. I think curiosity is really my kind of the most helpful characteristic. Mm-hmm. I'm curious and I'm kind. I would say that as well um, for you. Um, that makes me interested in everything. And so there's a genuine like wanting to experience people and places and things and yeah. And to know it. I think I think there's also having been such an anxiety ridden child, I had like a severe I keep saying like, sound like I'm ten. Um, I have I had such a horrific existential anxiety as a child. Like where are my thoughts going to go? What if this planet dies? What am I gonna do then? And what if I can't be reincarnated? And what if there's nothing? And what if what is eternity and what is forever? Um, and I think that wanting, like being so in love with life and things and people and experiences, something that I developed in direct response to being so afraid of losing it. I don't know if that makes any sense. I think it makes a lot of sense. So, but I do, I love it. And I love people, and I'm just so curious about what it means to be a human being, truly. And why we're here, and what we're doing, and it's fascinating. That reminds me of our conversation last night about aliens and (laughs) Madeira. What did he say? He said... Seeing like a waste of space. He said, if we are the only things that are... We are the highest level of intelligence and that's just a fucking waste of space and it was great i agree (laughs) we all cringed a little i agree there's got to be there's got to be millions and zillions of us right of something something else sentient beings yes can you describe what it was like the first time you fell in love oh well goodness i think Every time you fall in love, you fall in love more deeply. So, um, the first time I fell in love, I was 14, and his name was Charlie Peel. He was too old for me, and uh, and I just I adored him. And I remember sitting with him uh, and asking him if he believed in soulmates. And I can't remember his answer, really. But I remember him putting his arm around me. And it was in the fall, and it was kind of getting cold. And a breeze went through the trees. And I think that that feeling of magic, for me, is falling in love. So it's this energetic feeling and it's got a different frequency than just a regular 
situation, but like the love part of it is, that's the falling part of it, right? But the love part of it is the day in and day out and the making of the choice over and over again about being with someone. And um, so yeah, so I loved him and then the next person I loved was Darren and then Ryan and then Brian and then, I mean, there have been a million loves. Yes. And of course, Glenn and, um, you know, there've been, I've been very, very lucky to be able to love so much, but I think that's my true nature is to love. So falling in love for me just gets better and better and better. So you have such a big heart. You can hold so many people in it. Because it's been broken so many times. Oh my God, that's so <laughs> sad. Stop. Um, okay, so n- now it's time for my fun questions. Ooh. What's the best piece of advice you've ever been given? Oh God. I mean, I gotta give it. I don't know if it's advice. I mean, it's like okay, Jesse, my best friend, Jessica. I'll never forget her. I wanted her to commiserate with me in one of my heartbreaks, I think. Mm-hmm. One of my many heartbreaks. And she just wouldn't go there with me. And I was so mad at her. And I was feeling so sad. And I was so depressed. I wanted her to, like, get in it with me and, like, be sad with me and, and pity me or something. And she said, do you want a best friend who lays in the mud with you? Or do you want one who's going to give you her hand so you can get out? Wow, that came out of Jessica Lynn's mouth. It sure did. Where'd she get that one? Probably from her own brain that she's trapped in. Mm-hmm. Um, just kidding, Jessica. That's wild. Yeah, it was great. it was great. And that to me is what being that she taught she has taught me what it means to be a best friend and to have a best friend in the in the truest sense of it of the word. Yeah. What's your favorite bar in LA? Jeez, legs. That's rough. I have to narrow it down. I like them all. I'm just kidding. What's my favorite <laughs> bar in LA? God, right now? Mm-hmm. Okay, Piano Bar is no longer around. It's but not? No, not it's anymore. gone. Uh, that's where Dream Hotel and all that stuff moved into. Oh, really? Yeah. Wow. Um, so probably Mini Bar. I might take you there this evening. Oh, great. Mini Bar. Mini bar is probably my favorite bar in in LA right now. Where's your favorite place to write a screenplay? Ooh, Bourgeois Pig in the little cubby hole in the back in the dark. If you could switch lives with anybody, living or dead, would it be? How long do I have to be in their life? Like, how long do I have oh, to not be me? A day. My, my sheet says one day. So am, am, I, am I me or am I them? Like, do I have my thoughts in my brain in their but their, bar, lives. but their lives? Or do I, like, am I just living their life? I think you're living their life. Like, you're I'm living them. with their brain. I'm them. Yeah. Whoa. Einstein. I knew you were going to say that. I literally knew you were going to say that. Yeah. Einstein, for sure. Okay. Or Tesla. A little little cray cray up in there. I think it's definitely cray cray up in there, and I am into it. Okay. Guilty pleasure? Do you have one? I have many. I mean, sparkling rose. Is that what you bought me? 
No, that's just a regular rosé. Uh, but it's delightful. That's for Yumi and Jessica Lynn and Hemke Madera. To have a cocktail. Um, God, guilty pleasure. Ugh. What does, what, like, give me the Anything. definition of a guilty thing. Like something that's not good for me. Maybe something that you do in excess you don't want to do. Dating. <laughs> that's good. That's a great one for you. Um, do you want to describe yourself in a haiku? Like on the spot? Okay. Yeah, this just is, go for Oh, it. this is so exciting. Okay, okay, okay. Five, seven, five, right? Yes, it is. Okay, okay. Um. <laughs> okay. With a great big smile, she plows through all her worries, happy with the world. That's lovely. Thanks. Thought of that on the spot? I just did that right now. You're so poetic. Thanks. Well, that's all my questions for you. I love your questions. Was it was it um, interesting enough for you? It was wonderful. Great. Thank you, Allegra Levy. I love you. You're the next Oprah. Oh, you're too much. You're too kind. Well, thanks, Mel. Thanks for being here. Thanks for taking me here. Thank and you. I love you so much. I love you so much. And I'm much. so glad that I'm here to see you work. I and know. live your life here with all your friends and your co-workers and your directing people. Yeah, baby. Thanks, bud. Thank you. I love you. All right. There you have it. Nell Tier. Eleanor Gibson Tier. I've known Nell for so long, so it's really great that She's been so supportive of me in my artistic endeavors and especially this project and was so excited to be interviewed for this project, especially because I was out in LA working for her, for one of her projects, for one of her films. So that's awesome. It's so cool. I'm really sorry for the background noise. It's taking me a little bit of time to get this technology all sorted and you know, I'm learning things as this project goes on, and I'm learning things about people, I'm learning things about myself, and I'm learning things about technology and the way things work. So, you know, it's a learning process, and so maybe I won't do my interviews in a crowded, loud restaurant again. Um, but I hope that you guys could hear everything that she was saying, because it's pretty important, and she's lived a lot of life, and she's done a lot of great things. And it's really cool to see someone who was so set on being an actor change their path and now find such a great passion and something that they never thought would come to fruition. And now it is her career. It's her main career. And she's happy, which is the main goal. So I hope you guys enjoyed. And this week we have two interviews for you. So stay tuned for that. All right. I'm signing off. So thanks, guys, for listening. The feedback that I've gotten on this project so far in its first two weeks has been really rewarding, and I'm really proud. So I hope that you guys continue to give me feedback and listen in 
and think yourselves about what kind of artist you are and who you are as it relates to what you do. So thanks, guys. See you next time.